The Young and Healthy Podcast. You're listening to the Cincinnati Children's Young and Healthy Podcast. Welcome to the Cincinnati Children's Young and Healthy Podcast. I am your host for today, Michael English. This is Season 2, Episode 4. Today we're going to be discussing having difficult conversations with your children. You know, over the past two years, uh, there have been a lot of opportunities to have difficult conversations. There have been a lot of challenges between the pandemic. There's been social unrest. There has recently been an invasion in the Ukraine. So today we have two members of our pastoral care team to help us navigate how to have these conversations with our kids today. We have Mark Zumhagen and Yuzerl Kaufman. Thank you two for joining us today. Absolutely. Thank you for having us. I want you to uh, tell us us a little bit about what you do uh, here at Cincinnati Children's. Well, I am one of the chaplains. I am the overnight chaplain, so I deal with a lot of crisis, trauma, on-call stuff, and a lot of my work centers on supporting families uh, of children who maybe have been in an accident, maybe are in medical crisis, and helping their family make sense of everything that's going on in the moment. So it involves a lot of these really difficult conversations. Um, And uh, I also have become a resource to them in the moment to give updates to their families and to have those difficult conversations. All right. Thank you, Mark. And Israel, is that pretty much the same thing that that you Um, do? Very similar. I would just add... A little bit is that a lot of our focus is working through that crisis and finding the spiritual care that will reinforce and strengthen the family in those moments. So it's for some families, it's pulling on their faith. For some families, there's other strengths that, that they're able to use during those moments. And as as a department, the entire team is trained and well-trained, going through extensive classes and and continued education to continue working with families during those difficult moments. And, and, you know, families always have to have difficult conversations with their kids, right? Whether they're at the hospital, whether something else is going on in the outside world. I mean, if a kid is going through puberty, that's Mm going to be a difficult conversation for a lot of parents. And Let's be honest here. Some parents just are not comfortable with having those conversations and they avoid it. So sort of tell us why it's just important to have difficult conversations with kids, no matter what those conversations are. I think for me, one of the really important things is that it helps the child know that this is something that they can come to their parent about, that they don't have to wonder or be afraid of this thing, whatever it is, uh, alone. Um, 
and it's a great opportunity to take those difficult feelings and work through them uh, together. One thing that I've seen a lot of is families who haven't had, well, parents who haven't been able to have those conversations as they grew up. Um, and a kind of reaction to times of crisis where they just sort of clam down, say, oh, well, this isn't, um, that's not something we talk about. Or let's not talk about that. Let, let's divert, let's distract. But then when a crisis comes up, they haven't gone through this modeling. They've never seen what an adult really does to get through the crisis. They've never seen somebody talk through their feelings about something important. So that, that's one of the reasons I think that having these difficult conversations is really important to do, uh, especially as a parent, somebody who can provide the ultimate uh, measure of comfort and safety to your child. Now, Mark, one of the things you mentioned is how some parents maybe didn't grow up having those conversations, just as not been part of their family history. Uh, Israel, what are your thoughts on that? Like, how can someone sort of break that cycle and, I guess, evolve beyond the way they were doing things in the past or beyond the way that they were raised to sort of... Uh, introduce having those conversations with their kids yes I, i'd like to take a step back and just maybe even to reflect from my own perspective but in addition like maybe like each listener for them to take that moment to think back to their childhood to when the first time that they that they had something that they were experiencing for the very first time be it a a crisis, be it a change in their body, being it um, an experience in the classroom, wherever that was. And they're suddenly in the unknown space of where is that? How does, how's that going to play out for me? Where is that going to be? And if there was someone to tell me a little bit about what I should expect in that moment, some of those anxieties would have surely been lower um, there's there's those moments of unknown as well for the parent. I'll just throw an, throw an example. I'll, I was reflecting now with the current invasion to when I was a child with the Gulf War. And I remember just hearing some of what was going on, probably not fully understanding everything. I was six years old at the time. And I remember thinking, like, will I need to shelter with a gas mask as well? Like, is this going to be something that I'm going to need to experience? And not understanding exactly where the crisis was going on, not understanding the geographical location of, of that, and having some of those conversations would have been so beneficial for me in that moment. And I'm just reflecting and saying, you now, how can I do that for my children? How can I make them, give them that little bit more ease in these moments. So reflecting on the current invasion, I just heard this from a parent um, two days ago, and that the child was crying at night, wondering if, is there, is there going to be rockets? They're hearing about all these different attacks going on 
in Ukraine. Where's Ukraine? Is Ukraine next door to our house? So us as adults, we never even think about that. Like we, we know that it's not even on our continent. We don't need to worry. And, but a child doesn't know where that is. Is that next door? Is that Northern Ohio? Is that, is that how close is that? Is that going to get to us soon? And do we need to worry? So I think having some of that and making sure the kid, understanding the kid's perspective, understanding, opening that conversation and saying to the child, what do you understand? Where is this for you right now? And then being able to explain that can be so helpful enabling the child to just experience this in, in their own way, but in potentially in a much, much healthier way. Well, sure. I mean, that makes sense. I was a, a kid during the Gulf War too, and I can remember thinking, you know, am I going to get drafted? Yeah. I mean, I was very young. I was, I was maybe a sophomore in high school. I was nowhere close to being drafted. And really having those sort of conversations definitely would have helped. Sometimes I think about uh, my parents, though, but and maybe they just weren't equipped to have those conversations. And maybe there are parents listening now that say, hey, listen, I would love to be able to have a conversation like that with my kid, but I just don't have the tools. I don't have the resources. I'm not an expert. Um, what would you say to a parent in that situation? I think even if you're not an expert in crisis communication, you are still an expert in your child because no one else is your child's parent. Um, and being able to be transparent with them and share your feelings uh, and talk about scary things, sad things, hard things, that's a tremendous gift to be able to give your child. It's something that I reflected on as I um, was thinking about one of the big uh, things that was never talked about in, um, in my family uh, after 9-11. Uh, I grew up in Chicago between O'Hare and Midway Airport, two blocks south of a railroad station, three blocks north of a fire station. So I was used to a lot of noise. And it was unsettling. The only time I've ever had trouble sleeping in my life is when it was so quiet because all the planes were grounded. And I, I just couldn't sleep. And I, there was no one I could talk to about that. And if I try to bring it up, I would just get out. Yeah, it's, it's strange. Just got to keep pressing on. Um, and there wasn't really space for that emotion. There wasn't uh, space to discuss trauma. Um, and having that space is really valuable. It can be, become a real sacred space um, to share life with your kids. So I think if, if you're coming to a conversation like that, don't think of it as, I have to provide the right answer. It's, it's not a question and answer. There isn't a right answer to it. It's, it's a conversation. How am I going to express my feelings to my child and make space for them to express theirs back? Um, I think that's the kind of transparency that's so helpful to communicating these hard things, uh, whether it's war, uh, death, 
um, something that's just incredibly sad or disappointing. Acknowledging your feelings and their feelings and validating them, that's huge. And you don't have to be an expert to do that. But right. it is terrifying. Yeah, and I just want to add to that. There's, it's, it's probably, it's a sad reality, but it's life. That it's many of those crisis moments, it's those struggles that a family shares together that sometimes builds the family and builds the relationship. And it's, you know, we all, we all wish that those vacations and celebratory moments are going to be what builds that, be the glue and bond of the family. But it's, it's so often it's how we dealt with that crisis and how we all came together and we were able to unite and feel each other's pain that those feelings, those emotions, and carry them together as a family, being able to unite in those moments are sometimes the greatest bond that a family has. So what I hear you saying is, you know, you have to, as a parent, have some amount of vulnerability with your kids in order to be able to have this conversation. Um, Absolutely. And I think, I think even beyond having vulnerability, I think you have to have some self-empathy um, don't just shrug things off and say, oh, the pandemic, I just put my head down and did what I needed to do. Um, the war in Ukraine, what are you going to do? I think being honest with yourself and saying, wow, this is hard. This is scary. This makes me incredibly sad. Um, Ash Wednesday was yesterday and I was, uh, imposing ashes, uh, in the chapel at the hospital and one of the folks who came was very tearful and as I put the ashes on her head and and repeated the uh, repent and believe the gospel she said can you please pray for Ukraine I said I would love to pray for Ukraine with you that's so sad what's happening and just invited her asked her How, um, is there anything in particular she said my family is Ukrainian and and um, this is just so horrible. I'm so scared for them. It was a short conversation. It was very um, meaningful in the time. And just having that space to say, I'm scared. I'm sad. You know, that, that's a gift to be able to hear that. And also to be able to speak that. And I think that's something that would be tremendous for parents to be able to give their children. But it all starts with that self-empathy and, and being willing and able to say, wow, this is hard. This isn't just life as usual. This isn't just normal. This is hard. Even if you think you're going to get through it, it's, it's not an admission of defeat. So having that self-empathy and out of that well of self-empathy, then you can address some of that deeper, some of the deeper needs of empathy that your children are going to have. Does that need to be scaled? I mean, some parents may worry that they're sharing too much with their kids, especially really young kids. Um, is there such a thing uh, as sharing too much if you're, if you're being transparent or honest, or do you need to have some sort of filter? I think you can share too much. Um, and my general rule of thumb has been um, 
not to just download information, but again, I keep going back to this idea of conversation. And it's to ask them questions, to acknowledge their fear. Let's say we're talking about um, the pandemic. Am I going to die of COVID, Dad? Or, or you know, I'm, I'm worried about the pandemic. What are you worried about? Am I going to die? Um, and talking about how viruses work and how medicine works and the steps that we're taking as a family to uh, reduce exposure and things like that. I, I think going back to the child and asking questions and listening to what they're really worried about um, is so important. I know you have children who are even younger than mine. Mine are uh, 14, 13, 12, and 11. Yes, I do have, have some younger children. And I would say for my younger children, one of the important points is to avoid some of that catastrophic drama. Mm. Some of those morbid images that are on the screen now. And the kids are all excited as soon as they hear they hear the news and they they see that there's some action. They want to see what that action is, but sometimes it's being careful what they actually see and knowing that these images are in our minds, they're just a flashback. It's just a moment. It's just a we saw it, we saw it, it's part of the news. But the children as in the, especially as they're when they're younger, there's a specific innocence that these children carry, and it's a purity that that they have. They watch that, and their their empathy that they carry from watching these images, their their feelings are just so so deep, and the pain from watching watching that people having to run and people having to go through these challenges. So as adults, maybe we know we know how to disassociate a little bit better, but a child doesn't know how to do that as well. So sometimes sharing with them the truthful information, being truthful and having that conversation, but at the same time, they don't need to see all those difficult, those painful images that are coming across the screen. Yeah. And I think in being truthful, speaking to what their real question is it, around their emotions. I'm afraid. Am I going to be bombed? Well, I have to wear a gas mask. Well, I, you know, I heard Aunt uh, Millie has COVID. Will I get COVID? Um, and just answering those questions in the same way that they're asked, I think is, is huge. And sometimes the answer is, I'm afraid too, but I'm glad we're together and we're going to do everything we can to stay safe. Now, Mark, you said you have some teenagers now, right? Mm -hmm. Okay. Now, I don't know about you. I don't know how your kids are, but a lot of teenagers aren't the most forthcoming um, so are these conversations proactive or are they reactive? Do you wait for your kids to come to you or do you go to a kid and say, hey, let's have a check-in on this? Um, 
How do, how do you approach something like that? For us, we started having check-ins um, probably about four years ago because uh, it was right when my youngest was diagnosed with pediatric absence epilepsy. And that was hard for everybody. Um, everybody had their own concerns about how it was going to be treated with the medicine uh, change, uh, how uh, my youngest interacted with everybody else. And so we started having regular check-ins and encouraged some feelings journaling, just write down your feelings. And if four years ago, some of them weren't that proficient in writing, so we drew pictures. And we would talk about our feelings. And so over time, we really normalized that. So um, so I, for me, the check-in isn't like pulling teeth because we, circumstances, we had a hard conversation, new diagnosis to go through, and uh, we started this check-in thing. So it kind of normalized it. Uh, but we will frequently check in and, uh, you know, we've committed to, to talking with them about things and, and not keeping things, not having things in the world that we just are going to distract you away from. Well, don't think about that. Um, so a great example actually is, uh, uh, my 13 year old was messaging a friend and she came to, to me and she said, Dad, um, do people hurt themselves? And I said, yes. Yes, I do. I, I've seen that. And she said, my friend is talking to her friend and she's struggling with hurting herself. And I don't know what to do. So we talked about, does an adult know? Yes, her mom knows and, and she's getting help for it, but she still struggles. And I want to know how safe she is. So we talked about uh, mental health resources available to teens. And then I asked her, have you ever wondered about hurting yourself? Have you ever felt like that? And uh, she was able to say that she hadn't, but she was really afraid for her friend who was so stressed out by hearing another friend talking about this. We talked about when it would be appropriate to go to an adult and to her, to her mother specifically and say, hey, we've been having this conversation. I'm worried. And um, it was a very serious, very hard conversation. Um, but it was important. And again, those years of check-ins just made it, made it possible. You know, it's, it's creating a whole culture of um, of this intergenerational sharing and modeling what it is to walk through a crisis. I think that's why these conversations are so important because it's not just one conversation. It's a lifetime worth of conversation and each one builds on the next. Oh yeah, sure. I mean, that makes, that makes perfect sense. Like you mentioned before, you know, you normalize those conversations in, in Israel. I mean, you mentioned, you know, how that bond can be strengthened. You have smaller kids. Um, they're much younger. Um, maybe they don't even have the words to verbalize what they're feeling, or there's certain things that you're looking for um, since 
maybe they can't just come to you and actually say what's on their mind? So, yeah, for sure. And for us, and I, I would say our life is not as organized and structured as Mark is setting up. He has this amazing <laughs> check-in system. Um, we haven't done that. It's a great idea, but um, I don't think it's happening just yet. Um, so for us, um, obviously, we're looking out for some of the children if there is some new misbehaviors or new emotions, new moments of sadness. Are they carrying anxiety, anger, which are all normal feelings and asking them. So then it's approaching the conversation and what's, what's been going on or what have you heard? Is that there's, there's a lot on the news. What do you know about? And just hearing their perspective suddenly of where, where are they at? Where, what do they understand from the news? And suddenly they're telling me about this whole massive war going on and they know it from school there and they might be young but they're no one's sheltered. No, everyone knows what's going on. They all see the news. They see it the same way. I mean, not the same way we do, but they see it in, in, in their own way and they have, it comes down to them. So then it's watching, are they, are they getting that, that distorted rumors? Are they getting the information in, in a real way? Is that coming from their current event class in school? And did they fully understand when the teacher was saying some of these words? And maybe sometimes the teacher was using words that were above their vocabulary and the teacher didn't realize that the child doesn't understand what a nuclear strike on the U.S. can look like. And the child suddenly thinks that, hey, we're, we're, we're vulnerable to that, which we may or may not. But that's, that depends how the child understands that and where, where's the child sitting with it now at that moment so it's at that once seeing some behaviors it's both says so two two important things number one carrying that conversation just asking them what they know making sure that they have the truthful information and not any of this of having this distortion in their own mind the misunderstanding and then it's looking out for different new behaviors are they carrying any new behaviors because there's a new diagnosis in the family or they're not sure about that? They're not sure they're hearing that grandma's not well and now how they're responding to that. You know, we started off this conversation really kind of, I gave a very brief rundown of some of the things that have happened over the past two years. And if you also have a difficult diagnosis to go along with that, I would think that may lead to some sort of, I guess, compound stress on a kid's life and a parent's too, for that matter. Mm -hmm. um, I guess what I'm getting at is how do you help kids, you know, parents sort of see the light at the end of the tunnel? Because I would think that would be at least somewhat important. I think this is where my sense of faith, I come from a Christian background, um, and whether you're Christian or you hold a different faith, even uh, many uh, folks who are atheists have a philosophical grounding 
a kind of sense of the transcendent. Um, I think this is where that can really connect. Um, because I think the light at the end of the tunnel is knowing that you're not alone. Hmm. I think that, again, so many of us have had kind of a narrative of um, not to not to be a bother to people, just to push through, just to overcome uh, that um, we don't have self-empathy and that, that stops us from being vulnerable and what a treasure trove it is to know that you're not alone in something, that there are other people who are struggling and um, that there are other people who can hear your story and hold it. There's an old Fred Rogers quote, which I, I love because I think it sums this up. It's a challenge, it's directions, and it's also the light at the end of the tunnel. It's also that reward. Um, and it was the goal of his whole show. It was to make feelings mentionable and manageable. Hmm. And I think that's what these conversations do. They take us out of that isolation and make these feelings mentionable and manageable. So Mark mentioned how important it is to uh, have a sense of community, to stick together. Um, can you talk a little bit more about that, Israel, and, and how important that is and as, a, as a resource for families and moving on? Yeah, so there's a, a great study that I saw from Bessel van der Kolk. He is probably one of the greatest trauma researchers um, out there today. And he shared that after 9-11, there was an assumption that there should be a tremendous amount of PTSD, a post-traumatic stress that are being carried, especially in New York, and that there should have been many people struggling and as they were doing their research, they were not finding the results to be what they thought. And many people were not struggling. And what they, what they learned was that families that were supportive and were there for each other and were able to unite as a family during those, those difficult moments, they, their, the trauma that they carried with them after the event was so much lower and often none after that event, which is, which which really just highlights the importance of having these conversations and really being there for the children within the with these moments and really not only children but being there for each other as adults and community and being there for one another checking in with someone else and how are you doing? What are your feelings around the current events? What are your feelings within the pandemic? Or I know that there's some difficult moment going on in your life. How can I be supportive? Is I'm just thinking of you in this moment. And just an important thing just to keep in mind within families is so important to just keep the regular family rhythm the customary routine, maintaining that normal schedule throughout the day, both with sleep, meals, 
and having those those moments that the children can feel although there's a crisis although there's difficulty but as much as possible to maintain whatever regular life is able able to be done in those moments and sometimes it's not able to be done and sometimes that's challenging especially if someone's hospitalized and going back and forth to a hospital or spending time with a loved one in the hospital it's not always doable to have have those moments but even spending a sunday afternoon with the child and having that the child knows that the parent really wants to be there for them but there's something else taking up a focus at this moment is also gives that the child a sense of security and knowing that the parent is really there caring for them as much as possible with give, with the given circumstance yeah that sense of safety that comes through that familiarity is is huge even during the pandemic when so much of our normal schedules were thrown off when we had new things that we did i mean even for me it, it we got into a new rhythm and or a slightly tweaked rhythm and that sense of safety I think was really fostered through that. So safety, transparency, open communication, a lot of things that parents are trying to do anyway, obviously it's been more difficult. I want to thank both of you for giving our parents so many ways to do this. Now, if parents are looking for additional resources, uh, to try and help them along, what do you guys go to uh, to sort of uh, direct parents in a, in a way to incorporate those aspects into their lives? Well, being a chaplain, I think that uh, if you're part of a faith community, that can be a tremendous resource uh, to reach out and... Um, again, access some of that vulnerability and uh, reach out to maybe other parents in your church who might be struggling or, or might be struggling with some of the same conversations uh, around trauma. Yeah, um, I think um, if you're in the hospital and trying to navigate a difficult diagnosis, uh, here at Children's, we have child life specialists, and they're a tremendous resource for um, kind of knowing what to say and how to say it in a way that the child will understand. Um, and that's not to say that you can't start these conversations on your own, but if you're looking for a resource, that, a tremendous resource. Yes, I want to step back um, as chaplain. There, there are so many studies that have been done around around this. To just name one, there is a Dr. Jerome Group, Groupman. Um, he wrote a book, The Anatomy of Hope, and the book is really a just a beautiful description of families that were in crisis. And the reason why it's so beautiful is he shows that the families that were able to hold on to something, and they had something often larger than, than themselves. They had something it was either their community, it was their faith, it was something that was beyond their family that was really giving them that support and comfort. Those families had an easier time and often even better medical outcomes. 
which is which is amazing to think about as we're wanting to have these these moments of support and we're looking at and saying where where do we set ourselves up to make sure that we're structured well and often when we have when we have we're surrounded by either our faith community our our faith belief system and then we have we have just some good people that we that are surrounding us those people can hold us in in moments of crisis and that's often something so so helpful in these challenging moments some of the other resources for people that are not in the hospital mark mentioned child life that are present in the hospital but there's in schools with the school counselors and they have and then there's social workers therapists within the community there's so many people that are able to help with with these difficult conversations and often it's helpful to know that they're available when as we mentioned some of these some of the some of those reactions that children have their anxiety their 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 sadness their anger that come up in these difficult moments and sometimes they're having that good conversation is sometimes going to be helpful but sometimes their their anger or their 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 sadness their depression can get run too deep and we need that professional to help us along and those professionals are proficient they're educated and they're there to ensure that we can continue functioning and coping in a strong way and that's they're amazing resources and there's there's so many good ones within our community so using that in these moments is often going to be so beneficial down the road and being able to reflect down the road is be such a great investment of time and effort making sure that children are well supported in the most healthy way possible yeah it's funny that you mentioned that about therapists i um tremendous tremendous resource i was talking with a mom and she said that uh, she had gotten therapy all through college and, and was raising her children. And when her first child started to speak, have full conversations, she realized she had to go back to therapy because it was bringing up so many feelings for her um, that she realized she needed more help to work things through to be able to answer some of these questions and, and just occupy that space um, because it's hard I, I, for everything that we've said having these conversations it's, it's not just rolling off a log but it's um, it's hard it's necessary work though and it's it be very rewarding work I think it's um, kind of reflected in, in the, the Disney film Encanto right that we don't talk about Bruno <laughs> we don't talk about trauma right that's exactly what the whole point of it was. He had these disturbing images that the family never wanted to digest, never wanted to talk about, and each person's gift centered around their own trauma. There was the one who could appear as anybody, kind of just fade into the background, camouflage. There was the one who just had to be strong. Uh, there was the one who had to be perfect. And, you know, that was all unresolved trauma and I think that there is a raising awareness now and rising resources to help with that so um, yeah just getting to start talking and, and look for help when you need it that's great advice 
And also, I was a little nervous there. I mean, I love Encanto, and I was really hoping you didn't give spoilers to the people that haven't seen it yet. That would have, we would have been in a lot of trouble. Guys, I want to. Is there anybody on the planet who has not seen Encanto? Please email me. If they have not, (laughs) they're certainly missing out. Guys, I want to thank you again uh, so much for coming on to the podcast. Um, You know, they're called difficult conversations because they are difficult. And I want to thank you so much for for talking about uh, talking about ways that parents can do this. Um, final thoughts, Israel. I just want to say on mentioning that these are difficult conversations. Even this conversation, I would say, is difficult. It's difficult to think about these conversations that we're going to have with our children. It's difficult to think that. We're going to actually bring up some of these emotions, and it's painful when suddenly a child starts talking about it and they start crying. And are we hurting our child by having this conversation? And maybe it's better just like to distract them and give them give them a toy, let them let them play with their with their game. They'll, they'll sit on their computer game. They're distracted. We don't need to bring this up. And why should we have this conversation? And suddenly they're going to be you see their emotions just being thrown all over. And I think it's really what we, we were just saying is so important to have the conversation because you never know really what the child is struggling with deep down, what they're really thinking. And it's hard for us as parents and it's hard for us as children to watch that. But it's hard for us as chaplains, it's hard for us as therapists. And whichever place you're in, these are hard conversations. But that's all the more so the reason why it's so important. Mark, final thoughts from you. I think what Israel, what Israel said really encapsulates um, everything for this. They're hard conversations. They're, they're necessary conversations. And they are rewarding uh, too. They're also the light at the end of the tunnel. Uh, not just question and answer, but uh, sharing of lives. Absolutely. Let's talk about Bruno. Israel Kaufman, Mark Zumhagen, I want to thank you both again for coming on to the show. This is your second time on. Yes, it is. Hope to see you again in the future. Thank you for having us. This episode was recorded on March 3rd, 2022. The content of the Young and Healthy podcast is for informational and educational purposes. Our theme music was created by Stephen Greco. This episode was produced by Bo McMillan.